The reading tonight is from James chapter 1, verses 18 to the end of the chapter, and can be found on page 1213 in the Pew Bibles. He, Jesus, chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that, our, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi, everybody. Good evening. Well, thanks for having me back. It's, um, it's, I think it's been about, I think it's about six months since I last spoke in the evening. Um, so hopefully I didn't, hopefully I didn't offend anybody too badly and I've been allowed back. Um, but um, yeah, and I, I also apologize in advance if my voice goes, I've been slightly unwell this week. So um, hopefully the voice will last, um, and also, you'll last with me. You won't find it too, uh, too dull. Um, but I wanted to start with, I wanted to start by asking you a question. What shapes you? What shapes you as a person? What shapes you on a daily basis? What has authority over you? And I'm not talking about your boss or maybe your wife. Uh, but, um, but what shapes your outlooks? What shapes the way you think about certain things? What shapes your opinions? What shapes the sense of who you are? Your sense of value? That kind of deep-rooted sense of, of your worth in this world? Who or what has a license to be able to come in and say, Simon, you've got to look at this. You've got to change this. Who has that license to challenge you? Hopefully you're all thinking, I'm not going to pick on anybody, but think about it. Who or what has that, that ability to shape you? There are probably going to be many things, and, and they're going to be really complex. They're going to be really deeply rooted. Some probably very, very good. Uh, a really good friend who perhaps encourages you in certain ways. Your wife or your husband, who again, maybe kind of through small um, input, kind of helps you kind of grow and develop. Um, maybe it's a mum or a dad, maybe both, maybe a child. Um, it could be something as well, something you read, something you watch, uh, 
the internet, someone you follow. I know these guys, it feels like there's a, probably a big Instagram generation over here. Um, but who on Instagram do you follow and who shapes your life? Um, who has that ability to speak into your life? Are these things just fun? Or do they have, do they have that ability to kind of adjust who we are? Um, do they begin to shape how we view ourselves and how we view the world? This isn't a TED talk on, um, I promise, on the dangers of the internet and social media and things like that. So let me ask you, perhaps, is the thing that, that shapes you or has authority of you something that has been around since the very dawn of humankind? Money. Ambition. An ideal. Something you're aiming for. Those things have been around forever. And they will forever uh, have control over, over many of us. See, money particularly has such power, doesn't it? It can very quickly and very deceptively become the thing. And again, don't worry, tonight is not about money, so we're not going to go there too much. But it can very quickly become the thing that controls us or the thing that has authority over us. It's a dangerous master. You cannot serve both God and money, Jesus says. Is money the thing that has authority over you in your life? This evening we're looking at James. James is an incredibly practical book. Uh, I don't know how many of you have read it before. We've just read this evening. Um, I actually felt pretty nervous about preaching about James because it's so practical. There's a sense, I really felt there's a sense as I read it. I was like, just do what he says. Like, what can I explain? What can I bring to light from this? Um, do what he says. But actually there's, there's huge kind of depth in there. There's richness, and hopefully we'll see that tonight. Um, but James asked this, this question throughout his book. Not overtly, but this is the question he's trying to answer. If I believe in Jesus, what will my life look like? How practically will it change how I live my life? The things I say, the, the choices I make, the things I do, the attitudes I have. And in this specific passage tonight, James says, if I follow Jesus, if I follow Jesus, I will have a new relationship with his word, with the Bible. A new dynamic with this. There's going to be a connection. It's going to play an important role in my life. Look down at verse, hopefully you've still got Bibles open. If you haven't, do pick them up or on your phone. Um, But verse 18. So just to give you a sense of the importance the the word, the Bible makes in our life. Verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. See, God's word is responsible for giving us life in the very beginning, in the first place, if we're Christians. If we're sat here tonight believing Jesus, following Jesus, his word was the initial thing that transformed us. However God chose to make it clear to you, I don't know your personal stories, you will each have one. Maybe it was a friend, an event, soul survivor, um, your own searching. There are amazing stories of people kind of in, sometimes in Pakistan who have never been exposed to the Bible, but yet they have kind of an intense urge to, to Find out who Jesus is and search. Sometimes they have dreams about Jesus. 
about Jesus coming to them and saying, look, it's about me. However it was, it was the story of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, the empty tomb, the story of the disciples, the timid, frightened disciples on day one after the resurrection, cowering behind this, this big door that had locked shut, do you remember? The story of them transformed into people who would go out into the world willing to be nailed upside down on crosses because they believed in this truth. That is the word that transformed us. It's the story about Jesus. It's the truth of Jesus. It gave us life. So what does James say that our relationship should be with his word? I've got a, uh, I think I've got four points for you tonight, if I remember correctly. So the first one, look intently. Look intently. We should look intently. Look down. So um, I'm going to hopefully draw everything from the passage tonight. So here we go. Verse 25. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it. Whoever looks intently... I, I love what I'm about to say. I can't take credit for it, but, um, but I read it. But the word intently, that, that Greek word that they use there, um, is used only two other times in the New Testament. The first uh, is in Luke 24, verse 12. And this is where Peter, on the, that, that day where Mary's just come back and said, I've been to the tomb, Jesus isn't there. Peter gets up. Hopefully you can see that. Yeah, Peter gets up. And he runs with John, do you remember? John gets there first because he's faster and fitter. Peter gets there afterwards and he's like, he runs straight past John who's been a bit cautious and he goes in and he searches. Just imagine what is going on in Peter's mind right then. Heart kind of pumping, boom, 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 boom. Eyes searching around the tomb. Is his body there? What's there? What clues are there? Where are the grave clothes? Are they still there? Is anyone in here? Am I sure his body isn't here? All these things, searching, questioning, inquisitive, trying to find out the truth, trying to understand. That's the first time. The second time this word is used, and again, I've underlined where it, the kind of intently, how it's all built into that Greek word. I'm not a Greek scholar, don't ask me. Um, But the second time is in 1 Peter 1. Even angels long to look into, that long to look into, intently things such as these I love that it describes how God's angels long to look into into this truth they long to understand it they long to have our privilege of being able to go to this word understand it study it you and I have that opportunity what a privilege and then the only other time is here in James Whoever looks intently into God's perfect law. See, James says, look intently. Have the same eagerness of discovery that Peter had on that first day. And have that same, have an understanding of just how precious a gift it is. It's almost like, I'm going to say something really bad here, I haven't prepared it. It's almost like holding... I don't know, like a a precious jewel or an egg that you don't want to break. Um, Have that same kind of appreciation of just how precious a privilege this is, that the angels longed to have this ability to search and question. 
You see, intently means studying. It means taking note of every little word, reading up and down, all the way around it, into different sources, different things that speak about this passage, listening to talks on it, reading the passage again and again, until we get it, until it infuses around our mind. How many of us look look intently into God's word? I know I don't. I know I don't, and I will be the first to admit it. And this evening is not about coming down. James isn't about coming down with a big sledgehammer and saying, ah, look what you haven't been doing. But it's more, it's about exciting us and saying, look what privilege you have. Come at it with the same eagerness as Peter. And there's another important word here too, um, just after that. So whoever looks intently and continues in it, Whoever continues in it. See, looking intently into God's word, is not, it's not something that we do kind of once or twice. It's, it's something we do day in, day out, in season, out of season. We work on it. It grows in us, that ability. I just wonder, I, I think I had, how many of us had stopped continuing in it? As I said, I've been incredibly challenged by preparing this talk. It's, it's a challenge when you have to stand up here and talk about something that you know you fall short in. Um, maybe that's why I'm doing it, uh, probably. But I've, I've actually set myself the challenge over the next 21 days. I understand that's what you need to make a habit. Uh, the next 21 days, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. I'm going I'm to read my Bible every day for the next 20, 21 days. I'm going to try and make it a habit again. But again, not for the sake of having a habit and just reading and flicking and going. But eagerness, intent, look intently. Very briefly, I just wondered what stops us looking intently. Busyness of life, constantly on the go, late to bed, early to work. I've got two little children. Early years of having children make it very hard to carve out time. Um, One thing my brother said to me, actually, it was about two weeks ago. I don't know whether he was intending to say something to me, but um, he said... It's really stuck with me. He said, if your tre- children never see you reading the Bible for yourself, yes, we read it at bedtime with them. If you never see you reading it on your own, they're never going to grow up realising the importance of it themselves. Especially when they get old enough to really make their own decisions on how to spend their time. But if they see me reading it, if they see Dad every now and again, well, hopefully not every now and again, hopefully every day, at some point or other, they see me sitting down quietly reading the Bible. They realise, they will grow to realise, to know that it's, it's a book, not just for bedtime. Someone once recommended to me, once a week as a family, kind of sitting around the table at the end of the meal, kind of getting the Bible out and just reading, however short, however brief, but getting it out together. And I love that idea. What an amazing message it sends to, uh, to our children, that this is central, it's important. I don't do that, by the way, but I'm going to start. Um, Perhaps we also lose sight of the privilege of it and the importance of it. And actually, I think for our generation, we mentioned Instagram and things like that at the beginning, I think we face, in this precise time in history, I think we face a real challenge. Uh, There's so much, I guess it's the arrival of the internet, social media, there's been a real change in the way we kind of interact with information. We're so conditioned to flick between things. We sit down to watch the TV at night. 
Netflix comes on, right? What should I watch? Flick, 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 flick. You can spend an hour just working out what to watch, right? I know what I do sometimes. Um, and then you give up. But there's a, there's a flicking. And then you scroll through Twitter, like, oh, is anything that catches my mind um, or catches my eye? There's Facebook, Facebook and Instagram. Images. Oh, yeah. And you could just waste hours just doing that. Um, even, even email, the archaic email. Um, does anyone below 18 still use that? I don't know. Um, yeah, sometimes. Um, but I rush to try and delete, like skim it, delete it, move on. Then I can focus on the important stuff. We're so conditioned, aren't we? Information gone. Information gone. And it's like, no. When we come to the Bible, when we come to God's word, we need time. It takes time. And we can't come to it in quite the same way that we're coming to everything else in our generation, in our world. And perhaps the more time we spend doing these other things, the more of a challenge we find it to look intently into God's word. It's something to think about. Secondly, so to the person that looks intently, if we're looking intently and we're continuing it, the Bible, God's word, will reveal who you really are. Look down, verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and forgets what he looks like. I don't think this is just saying you've got to, it's not about, it's about remembering the word. I think the, the mention of the mirror is very intentional here. Very intentional. Um, James is saying God's word is like a mirror. It reveals who you really are. It teaches you about yourself. Just last week, um, Matt Baker stood up in the morning service. I don't know who did the evening. Um, I was talking to somebody. Was it two weeks ago? I'm not sure. I was talking to somebody who'd listened to that sermon. And they said this passage that he'd spoken on was about what's the purpose of the Bible? And he said it, he had three points. Um, and they said it hadn't stood out to them. Many years they'd read it, hadn't stood out. Suddenly, boom, fresh light. Wow, powerful, that speaks to me. Have you had that? You've read something many times, many years. Then one time, suddenly, for whatever reason it might be, it suddenly pierces and it connects. And it's like, whoa, that's speaking to me. That is speaking to me. See, God speaks through his word. He speaks through his word. Hebrews 4, the next slide, says, God's word is alive. God's word is active. It's sharper, Eddie was mentioning this, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It judges, it cuts to the heart of the issues. Just like in Jesus, in his life, I love reading the gospel accounts of Jesus. They're just so rich with just examples like this. Just like in Jesus' life, with sometimes a single word or a single phrase, it's like a dart, right into the heart of the issue of someone's life. Think of the rich young man. Um, This is me Googling kind of images of the rich young man. These are the best I can find. But this, this... this kid comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, I've kept every command since I was a boy. What else do I need to do? Jesus says, amazing, amazing. Now, go away. Give everything you have to the poor. 
Go and help the poor. Bang, dart, right to the, the single biggest issue in his life. Amazing. And then there's the Samaritan woman. I love this story. Um, this is where he goes to the well and there's a Samaritan who she shouldn't really talk to. For, there are divisions among them. Um, but Jesus has this conversation. And then he says to her, he says, go and call your husband and come back. And Jesus, obviously, he knows. This woman has had many husbands. I forget, is it five or six? And now she's living with someone who wasn't her husband. Right to the heart of the issue, bang. And her response, I love it, it's amazing, particularly in the context of this evening. She goes back to her family, her community, and she says, come and meet a man that told me everything I ever did. I just love that. It's amazing. And that's, that's the same with God's word. It speaks, it changes us, it pierces to the heart. I got an alert on my phone this week about a famous investment banker who died after 40 years on Wall Street. And he wrote this kind of memo, 24 rules to succeed. You've got it on the next slide. It's like this scrawled thing. Um, some of them, stay in the game. Don't burn bridges. Remember, life has no blessing like a good friend. Try to be nice and say thank you a lot. All 24 are very good advice. Very good advice. And they're clearly the words of someone who has done well, knows what they're talking about, has lived a good life by the world, world standards. But they don't speak to me. It's not as if there's someone on the other side of those words who knows me intimately, counselling me, speaking to me, guiding. And it struck me, there's just such a huge difference between that and God's word, the Bible. It's alive and active. It's a mirror, James says, that reveals who we truly are in this world. It speaks to us, it changes us. In times of joy, it lifts us even further. And I know from my own experience, and I know many of you will as well, that in times of sorrow and hardship and pain, the Bible comforts and draws near in a way that I don't think anything else can. And of course, it might reveal things in us that aren't good and that need to change. And we may not like that, but it calls us to act. And so again, the third thing, third dynamic with the word, it inspires us to act. It will inspire us to act. Look down at the verses again. Verse 22, don't merely listen. Do what it says. Verse 25, again, whoever looks intently, not forgetting what they'd heard, but doing it. Verse 26, very practical. Keep a tight rein on your tongue. Look after the orphans and widows. Keep yourself from being polluted by the world. See, the more we look intently, these, these, these things go together. The more we look intently, the more we're shaped by God's spirit and the more we will want to respond. We won't simply be able to read it, put it down and leave it. And actually, James gives us three clear areas I haven't written them up here, but just to, to, to briefly draw them out. Firstly, the way we speak. The way we speak. I don't know uh, what your relationship with your, your words, your, your tongue, your voice is, um, but be slow to speak, slow to become angry. Keep a tight rein on your tongue, he says twice. I think those two things are linked. See, anger doesn't bring about, he says, the type of life that, that God desires for us. Anger clouds it blinds. 
it causes us to say and do things that we will always regret. Be in control of what you say. Is anger, hurtful words, something that you struggle with? Are you someone that builds up other people? Or are you someone who pulls people down or strikes them down with your voice? Second, second kind of explicit action. We will help the, the helpless and the poor. Jesus made a massive deal of this in his life and in his words. And James references this multiple times in his letter. And, and he, he often talks about, I don't know if you remember James, but he talks about the context of the poor rejoicing in their high position, poor in their high position, and the rich kind of humbling themselves in their low position. Without getting too deep into it, the heart of it is this. If we listen to what the Bible says and we let it speak to us, it reveals the reality that without Jesus, without his grace, we are nothing. We're no different from any other man or woman out there. Rich, poor, successful, unsuccessful. Before God, we bring absolutely nothing. And when we understand that, we begin to look at the poor and the helpless and the needy with a very different set of eyes. And we bring love, we bring practical care, just as Jesus did when he was here. Third explicit action, keep yourselves from being polluted from the world. There's so much to consider and there's an entire talk on this topic, but a very brief comment here. The temptation to fit in with our world is, is there in abundance. It's all around us. See, it's attractive. Fitting in is the path of least resistance. It's easy, it's natural. It's uncomfortable to go against the current. But James says, those whose faith is real will keep themselves from being corrupted. It's the age-old challenge for Christians, isn't it? Be in the world, but not of it. I wonder, how different are our lives compared to those who don't know Jesus on this side? How do our outlooks on life change? Are they visibly different? You see, as the Bible speaks to us and it infuses through our lives and it challenges, it changes, it it speaks to us, so our outlook changes. We, We don't view some of the challenges of the world in the same way that the world does. See, God and God his word grounds us. It, it bases us. It gives us this foundation. It gives us peace. And isn't this what we're all looking for? Even outside of this church, people who want nothing to do with Jesus, what they're after is peace. They're after that feeling of acceptance, security. They want to belong. And this is what God promises as we come to him. And this is the fourth bit. The the fourth dynamic of God's word playing out in our lives. It will bring blessing and freedom. This is the same, verse 25. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, they will be blessed. Freedom and blessing. See, the mark of someone shaped by God's word will be freedom and blessing. And I'm not talking kind of an easy life because James himself earlier on in, the, in, in chapter one says, consider it, brothers, pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. 
But these four things up here, look intently. The mirror that reveals who we are. Inspiring us to act, inspiring us to to be different. These four things go together. They will, will bring blessing. They will bring freedom. I just want to finish with, there are two... I've got them up on the screen. In the next slide, there are two kind of other quotes, as it were. One is a song, which we're actually going to sing afterwards, but I just, the words are so powerful. And I think it encaptures that, basically what our, our relationship with God's word should be. Now my heart's desire is to know you more. My heart's desire is to know you more. To be found in you and known as yours. And then the second is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man, blessed is the the woman, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Who meditates on, on this law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. And again, that, that image of the, the tree planted. It's not, the planting is not restricting. It's actually freeing. The water that comes in, that living water, or the, the stream of water, it empowers and it allows them to, that tree to kind of live its rightful existence. And that's what it is for us. God's law is not binding, it's not restricting. It frees us, it brings blessing. So let me finally just re- return to this, the first question I asked you. What shapes you? What shapes you? What has authority in your life? What changes you? Here James says, put, put God's word right at the heart of your life, at the heart of your family's life. Make sure the Bible among all the competing voices, the competing authorities, the competing shapers in your life, make sure the Bible is the one that is shaping you and moulding you and the one that you're committed to as well. Amen.